Hey, I'm Asher. And I'm Jackson. And what you're about to listen to is strictly confidential. So, Asher, how are you doing with the big news? I am taking it pretty well, considering. Pretty well. Now, you're not super upset that Big Bird is over? (laughs) I'm keeping it together, okay? Uh, I've got work to do. I can't just fall into shambles. Yeah, I I haven't been taking it personally very well myself. But I I did find a couple hilarious internet things dealing with the situation. Okay, good, because I have no idea what you're talking about. So you and I talked about how birds aren't real a couple weeks ago. And we also talked about how uh, Big Bird was without a doubt involved in that. Turns out I've found two different sources. uh, One of them from our favorite website, Clickhole News. And the other one is our Tweet of the Week. Great. Clickhole News says, incredible. The man inside Big Bird has revealed that he was only able to control the giant puppet some of the time. What's truly tragic is the story of why they had to retire Big Bird. And I wish I could humbly say, or not humbly, I wish I could proudly say that it was because of our show and because we brought about the news, but I don't think that was it. Well, I'm not even with you yet. Uh, is, is Big Bird, like, leaving Sesame Street for real? The puppeteer who puppeteered Big Bird retired. But you do understand that that is a character and they can just they can put another man in there. Right. You're definitely right. Of course. And voice acting is just going to be the exact same, too. Okay. I, I wasn't sure within, within the canon of Sesame Street, Big Bird was actually like 65 and he was retiring. <laughs> okay, I guess, I guess I could have given you a little bit more to work with there. But yeah, do you want to hear the, uh, our tweet of the week? Please. Our tweet of the week comes from username Helen. And they tweeted, what the media isn't telling you is that the guy who puppeteered Big Bird was forced to retire because Big Bird was taken out by SEAL Team 6 in the early hours of Wednesday morning in what proved to be a painless execution. (laughs) Well, at least it was quick. I'm glad it was painless. I've obviously been more of a Sesame Street fan much longer than you. Yeah, It was a surprise to me when you told me just now because I've spent all of my time watching broadcast news and broadcast TV and... For some reason, I just, my mouth is always parched, and I always just want chips and soda and consumer goods. I don't know. I don't know where that's coming from. It's it's like I'm just being, there's some, like, correlation between, like, my buying habits and what I'm watching on TV. We're talking about subliminal advertisement on Strictly Confidential today. I like getting to watch you craft these masterful, masterful transitions. Well, you're being a little, a little too generous about that one, but thank you. I like being able to be in the beginning of it and hear you just start moving and think, mm, he's, gonna, he's about to make one. Cool. I'm going to start this in the laziest way possible for me and immediately put the ball in your court. Can you explain what subliminal messaging is? Do you know what that is? Uh, yeah. The best example I can think of is something like Truman Show. The, okay. the movie with, uh, how did I forget his name? Jim Carrey. Right? I was going to say Truman, Jackson! <laughs> Harry Truman. No. So Jim Carrey in The Truman Show, it's all a movie about how Truman is in a fake world. I don't know how much of that is a spoiler. You may want to Google that before you edit this part. Like, all- No, that is literally the setup of the movie. Like, that's the first five minutes. They explain that that's the case. Okay, yeah. So he's in a fake universe, and they want to make sure that there aren't actual commercials, so they'll, like, hide products in different parts of the show. So you think, oh, hey... 
I need to, I'm watching Truman Show right now. I need to do my laundry. Oh, Truman's using Downey for his laundry. That kind of thing is subliminal. I'm going to say you're 50% correct. What you're working with there is a little bit of a common misconception. I think you do know what subliminal messaging is, but you have a bit of a broad definition of it. So what you're actually describing there is supraliminal, not superliminal. Now I'm, gonna, now I'm getting all mixed up. Subliminal and superliminal are two forms of perception. Superliminal perception being things that we can consciously perceive, but we won't be aware of them unless we pay direct attention. So Truman Show is actually a much better example of that than I could come up with. They're placing products, they're mentioning products, you see them in the environment. Even if you're not even noticing them, they're there, but they don't count as subliminal because the only reason you're not aware is you aren't paying attention. You can still see it. Are we talking about Disney today? A little bit. We can get there. We can certainly get there. But I actually want to start at the beginning. And thankfully, this time, it doesn't start with Nazis. It starts in 1957 in New Jersey. What doesn't start in 1957 in New Jersey? Nothing good, I'll tell you that. Researchers James Vickery and Frank Thayer. Him being not so important because I never saw his name again in my research. Over a six-week period during a film called Picnic which is, man, that's the 50s, like, getting people in the, you got people rolling in for picnic. Don't even have Yogi Bear, goddamn. Vickery claimed that 50,000 people, 45,699 to be exact, rounding up, they were exposed to subliminal projections while they were watching the film. Hmm. So for one three-thousandth of a second, and every five seconds, the words, eat popcorn and drink Coca-Cola appeared on the screen. I say appeared, but again, this is so fast that it is essentially a flash of light that's mixed in with the series of flashing lights that makes up a project, projected film. Kind of like how in Fight Club he would paste in like just a second of a sex scene into a movie. Yes. Actually, if you're familiar with Fight Club, then you're pretty familiar with what we're talking about here, and that's, that's a lot closer to what is agreed to be subliminal. Uh, film normally operates at 24 or 30 frames a second, but these images only flash for one three thousandth of a second, so they needed a special instrument called a tachistoscope. Tachistoscope. Who cares? We'll, we'll never discuss that again, but it's basically an instrument that will flash this text. Now, we need at least 13 milliseconds to perceive an image, and even then, not so accurate, and text is a little bit more difficult too. But that means that anything below that threshold officially counts as subliminal, meaning it's not something that our conscious mind is fast enough to perceive, but it is still being presented to us, and there may be some element of that that is absorbed by our subconscious. Okay. So Vickery, he reports that theater sales of Coca-Cola after this experiment saw a rise of 18.1%. And popcorn sales rose by 57.5%. Could there have been any reason other than this kind of subliminal messaging? Like, at that point, were they still working on the popcorn recipe and they, like, cracked the code? According to Vickery and Thayer, this was a scientific and controlled situation, even though the people who were participating weren't aware. They were just going to see a film. And that's a big part of the point, is that for it to count as subliminal, they can't be aware. But still, they saw a massive increase in sales. And when you have theaters that are basically kept in business by in-house snack sales, 
this is really good news. In fact, this is great news for advertisers and marketers who've always made it their business to influence people, but I mean, if you can just skip straight to mind control, that's all the better. So, so from- what, what would that look like today? Would it be like I'm watching The Simpsons or something and in the corner of the screen, it'll say something like, like buy Miracle Whip really quick, yeah. like really, really quickly? Yes, but here's the thing, for it to count as subliminal, it has to be something that you don't even see the flash. If that's the case, then it could be happening constantly and we would never know. Okay. That's a scary idea, and the public in the 50s was horrified. So they were a lot less enthusiastic about being puppets to the media than marketers were, and there was an outcry of fear and rage. So in the Saturday Review, when this first became a big hoopla, Norman Cousins began his report about the matter with Welcome to 1984. Mm. Pretty quickly, Australia and the UK completely outlawed the use of subliminal messages. But it was then and is now legal in the United States. How would, uh, how would you regulate this? How would you actually go about doing, going about actually making sure this law is enacted? Because right? so much of this is, hey, you're watching a movie and you might see buy popcorn for three milliseconds on the screen. How is a police officer going to be, or like somebody who's actually watching and making sure everything's okay, how are they going to notice that? Exactly. I mean, only people who put it there could know because by definition, you cannot perceive it with your conscious self. Even in Australia and the UK, they could have been doing it all along and how would they be caught? I just feel like that's entirely like, I run a private bar establishment and I want no people wearing invisibility cloaks in my bar. <laughs> if I see one person wearing an invisibility cloak, I will arrest them and send them to prison. It seems exactly like that. Well, immediately after everyone started looking for their own invisible man because this was the beginning of witch hunts to find backward messages in music, hidden satanic imagery and brand logos. This is that beginning of the distrust in advertisement and what they're really trying to say to us and what they're really trying to sell us. You know, you, you spin a Judas Priest record backwards and Satan says something to you. That's called backmasking. That's since been proven to be something called active constructing. So basically you just have these dribbled up sounds and you can hear anything you want if you try hard enough. And there's a lot of auditory illusions that are like this. Even though the backmasking thing has been proven over and over again to be total BS, the important thing is that it immediately became a public panic and seeped into the public consciousness, and it's been something that we're all weary of even to this day. That's one of those things that I grew up knowing jokes about and knowing like, hey, if you listen to this song backwards, you can get a message from Satan, like that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And it's definitely just going to be like, buy more records. The music industry is suffering, dude. Buy Miracle Whip. Like, I... <laughs> Miracle Whip is really hurting right now. Random side note, have you ever... Isn't Doesn't OK Go do a music video where they sing the whole song backwards? Yeah, sure do. Which makes it seem like you could hypothetically uh, do something like that, where you actually write a song with hidden stuff in the backwards, but I... Yeah, it's true. I mean, you could certainly hide messages, but the, the reason that people are scared here and the reason it's still a scary concept now isn't just having basically code and inscribed messages. It's having inscribed action, motivating people to do things against their will, mind control. We are largely controlled by our unconscious. 
really great book about this is Malcolm Gladwell's Blink. That's a very like consumer friendly, like base level book about unconscious processing. And I mean, obviously the, on the physiological level, we have a part of our mind that is making us breathe and making our hearts beat and a lot of automatic processes like that. But think about the last time that you drove late at night and then when you get home, you kind of don't really remember driving. You just kind of got home because your subconscious controls a lot of what you need to be able to drive. I think the thing I think of more than driving even, a lot of the times I won't remember anything I did 30 minutes before I fell asleep the night before. Right, but you were still a functioning, rational human being. Like, I still brushed my teeth, I still walked around, I still took my clothes off and got in bed and went to sleep. I just don't remember any of that. This is when we begin to talk about the power of your subconscious mind or Jackson's drinking problem. Don't know which to address first. But the important thing there is that your subconscious mind is not irrational. That's a really important misconception that everyone should understand, is that subconscious and irrational are not synonyms. Your subconscious mind is looking out for you just as much as you are. We do know for a fact that we react to stimulus even if we don't consciously perceive it. And like I said, that's not really so scary because we need that skill to be alive. But when did we begin to understand this? Back in 1898, a publication was released called The Sub-Waking Self. There's an experiment that's really telling from that publication where a series of numbers and letters was written on cue cards and the person holding the cue card stood far enough away from the participant that they could hardly even see the cue card. So the numbers and letters themselves were a blur at best. But when the participants were asked to guess what was on the cue cards, they were with two thirds accuracy able to determine the difference between letters and numbers. And when, to, when they were asked to guess the actual letters and numbers, they got the correct answer well above the average of pure chance. Meaning if they had truly just closed their eyes and guessed, we would have seen much, a much less accurate result. This is basically the idea that with subliminal messaging, you're trying to show that the brain only needs a tiny bit of information and it will make the logical guesses in between there. Right. And this experiment, which was conducted more than 100 years ago, suggests just that, that they were getting more information and it was information that they could act on. Subscribe to Trinity Confidential by Miracle Whip. Much more recently, in 2006, at the University of Utrecht, created a study that uh, suggested that subliminal advertising was, is effective with products that people know of and somewhat like. In an attempt to recreate a similar experiment to the theater experiment, participants were intentionally parched by giving saltine crackers and other crisps and other chips, and then were uh, exposed to a film which flashed branding for different types of uh, either soda or sports drinks. Didn't specify which brands, but different drink brands. When leaving the, the, uh, the theater where they had seen the film, a increased number of people bought drinks from the vending machine on the way out than those who weren't exposed to the subliminal messaging. And more telling, they purchased the brand that was shown on screen. Hmm. Is it more common for you to recognize something than it is to read something for the first time? 
that's actually a big part of this. And But before we get to that, I do want to go now back to 1962. Jumping all over the place here chronologically, but I hope you see the through line I'm kind of trying to make with the story of subliminal messaging. This is five years after the original study by Vickery. And either through guilt or fear of legal repercussions, Vickery came out and announced that his study was entirely faked. He had never even conducted the experiment. And he concocted the whole thing to drum up publicity in order to save him and his failing marketing business. It wasn't even to benefit the theater. But the thing is, even though his experiment was definitely fake and for publicity, I don't even know if that matters. Because the fear regarding subliminal messaging has way survived it. And it has led to research, which, as, I've st as we've talked about already, has had some uh, concerning findings. But you touched on something just a moment ago that, for me makes all of this fall apart. And that's the fact that, um, you know when you have a hypnotist that comes to town, when that happens all the time? A hypnotist will ask for volunteers. And that's really important, actually. In a magic trick, a volunteer makes it more impressive, but in hypnotism, getting volunteers makes it less impressive. Because that means you're getting people on stage who want to be hypnotized. Then, of course, they perform a few, like, d different tests to see who has the most active imagination, essentially. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that they choose to use for their hypnotism. Because it's a two-way street. Even a hypnotist really can't force their will on someone. They just convince someone that they want to do the thing. But if they don't want to, they still won't. And subliminal messaging works, I believe, in very similar ways. In the study in 2006, which is verified and is a real experiment, and you showed that, that subliminal flashes did in fact affect people's behavior, it's not so scary to me because that's not mind control. It's just doing what branding has been doing for the past 100 years. I mean, that's the reason that everyone already knows what Coca-Cola is, but they still have billboards for it. And they still have, you still see Coca-Cola at football games on the, uh, like those banners along the sideline. It's because a lot of branding is just around the recency bias, right? Like you see a ad for Coke, drink Coke, it's refreshing, you're thirsty. So uh, the next time you want to get a drink, well, you just saw an ad for Coke, so it's at the top of your mind. Maybe you're not thinking so much about it, your mind's in other places, so you grab it. I guess subliminal messaging is, is just doing that in a much more focused sense. It's taking it, it's taking the idea that your brain doesn't even need to know any details about this thing. It just needs to know, hey, the last soda I can think of is, I saw like a, like a script font that's red and white. I guess I want a Coca-Cola. Even if I didn't really see it, I just saw it flicker Coca-Cola. That would be a big part of it. It's just establishing a level of familiarity and people act on that. But if you have billboards that are all over the city that just say a nonsense word, it says squelch, I don't know. You see billboards that just say squelch and nothing else. There's not even contact info or a .com. But then you realize, oh, you know what? I need something to replace my pool noodles. I'm all out. And then you go to the pool, pool supply store and you see this amazing new product and it's called squelch. And you're like, oh, I've heard all about this. Even though you haven't heard anything beyond Billboard. You see this new product, and there's Squelch, and then there's this other brand, and then there's this other brand, and they're all the same product, but you're not familiar with any of them, but you've heard the name Squelch, so you're going to buy that one, because you at least know it's a legitimate enough brand to buy a Billboard. 
you feel comfortable knowing it because it's something in your memory. Exactly, and in your recent memory, so you're comfortable going with that decision. And I think in 2006, that's exactly what's going on in that study, because these people who were given salty chips and popcorn, they were already thirsty. So even though the people who weren't receiving the subliminal messages were just as thirsty, they weren't being reminded that they were thirsty. In the same way that I can get really carried away with editing this podcast, and I realize it's 10 p.m. and I haven't eaten, if I say an ad for Taco Bell, all of a sudden I'm hungry. But Taco Bell didn't make me hungry. I was already hungry and I had forgotten. And this is working in a similar way. So people are thirsty, they're leaving, there's a convenient drink right there, but the people who got the subliminal messages just got a little reminder like, hey, hey, these drinks exist and you're pretty thirsty. So it's bringing your focus back to something that you had before. And this is why advertisers almost certainly don't use subliminal messaging. It's because advertisers don't need to be covert. But in that situation I just described, they could have just had a pre-roll YouTube ad that said, Psh, ah, mmm, delicious 7-Up. And they would have been just as, if not more likely, to drink a 7-Up after they left the theater than if it had flashed for a millisecond. Mountain Dew. The subliminal messaging I've always heard of is less advertising focused and more in stuff like there's a scene in Aladdin, I think, where people believe that Aladdin says, can teenagers take their clothes off? And like sex stuff like that that's supposed to be hidden for adults. I know that there's that infamous one where uh, Simba flops down on the flowers and like the petals fly away and it spells the word sex, you know? That would count, I think. No, it wouldn't because you still see, if you're looking for it, you can still see it. So that still doesn't count as subliminal in this case. Maybe a hidden message, but definitely the result of bored and antsy animators. I think those that are just for the point of comedy are going to be more of the supraliminal, is that the word? Yes. Whereas advertising is more like, I wanna get this idea in his brain. Yeah, you're better off just slapping him in the face. You don't need to sneak in the back way. You can just put Mountain Dew big, loud, and proud, and it works the same, if not much better. But the important thing, and the scary thing, is that this is something that is still being researched and is still not fully understood. And it could be happening all around us at all times, and we would never know. The most frustrating thing about this kind of thing is that I don't think I can think of an example right now, because any of these are gonna be, it's kind of like how I know a lot of the names of the 50 states, but there are a bunch of them that I just forget are states. And I can't, <laughs> I can't tell you the list of the ones that I forget are states because I forget their states. Yeah. It's that same kind of mentality of, I can't tell you the last time I heard a subliminal message because the whole way they're oriented is so that they're just reminding me of a thing I remember. I'm mad as hell. Well, marketers and advertisers already have the best form of mind control you could even ask for, manipulating our emotions with Christmas and puppies. Yeah, you always tear up when the soldier comes home in that Budweiser ad and the kids run up and give him a hug and then it's like, drink beer just like dad. You're being played. Yes. <laughs> I know that. I mean, it does get me every time, but I also know, hey, uh, this is the point. These Subaru ads are good ads because they make me feel things. But the when whole I drive a Subaru, I feel. I know that buying a Subaru won't solve all of my problems but I know that it solved the character in that ad's problems. <laughs> it worked for him. I mean, chances are it could work again. You can't prove it won't. Wow, do you hear that? That's just, it's magical. It's back again. I can't get over how nice and quaint and just relaxing that is. 
but simultaneously a banger? Let's listen. Well, today we get to celebrate my inaugural Hit the Snopes. So many times Asher has brought us an excellent Snopes example, and I am honored to be able to bring mine. Uh, this is gonna be a little bit gross, but it has to do with advertising as well, which is spectacular because I had no idea that's what you were talking about. In August 3rd of 2017, actually uh, February 15th of 2016, the website Urban Image Magazine published an article claiming that 300,000 pounds of counterfeit chicken wings sold, <laughs> which is honestly the best three words you could have together is counterfeit chicken wings. But yeah, going on, 300,000 pounds of counterfeit, chi counterfeit chicken wings sold prior to that year's Super Bowl were actually rat meat. Ugh, that's not fun. Well, fortunately for you, this is entirely fake and comes from oh, okay. our comes from our best friends at World News Daily Report. Yes. The website World News Daily Report had nine days earlier published the claim saying that the FDA was concerned about an estimated 300,000 pounds of counterfeit uh, chicken wings. I can't get over that, that phrase. <laughs> you got the guy with the little green visor and the multi-lens binoculars leaning in. He's like, hmm, yes, this is a, uh, if you see here, this is a nasty ass rat. I'm just imagining this guy who you know is shady holding open his jacket and there are like 70 pockets and each one has a different chicken wing in it. We talking raw or we talking like buttered and fried? I don't know. I don't know which one's funnier. It's crazy because it showed up on news websites all across America with gross photos that I believe came from World News Daily Report, but I encourage you, Excellent. listeners, do not Google this because it looks gross. And the most frustrating thing about this is these look like rats. They look- Jackson, very I'm much, Googling it. They look very much like rats. But this, or these claims, went all the way until November 2017. Oh God, I've seen this before. It's awful. Yeah, that, that, that's basically, this image is a rat king, which that is something you don't Google. Basically like put next to a, a bowl of like blooming onion sauce. That yeah. is disgusting. That's not fooling anyone. <laughs> that's what I mean, is I think that the people who believe or truly, truly thought that this was real news must not have looked very much at the photos that World News Daily was posting. Because the World News Daily, like all of these articles showed photos of this rat meat. And that is, if I walked, like no matter how many Bud Lights I've had at our Super Bowl party, if I walked over to the bar and saw these on the table, I would think, that's a freaking rat. This looks like a gray squirrel like snuck into a NASA wind tunnel and had his skin blown off. And I don't know if this is the, the article that World News Daily, or the image that came with World News Daily reports, but on this Snopes page, they have a photo of these rats. The rats still even have tails. So if you're selling these as counterfeit chicken wings, are you doing a good job or a very bad job? I think you're doing a great job if you're passing that off as chicken. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's probably a good sign of excellent salesmanship. Forget yeah. subliminal messaging, whatever act of persuasion is happening to make. That sale is what every marketer needs to be doing. But... We all know that the most important part of chicken wing is the sauce anyways, so. Yeah. Yeah. It is a sauce portal, and please, God, do not drink the milkshake. What you've seen online about the milkshake is true. 
If you are looking to celebrate the Super Bowl in uh, several months from now, I realize, you should know that your chicken wings are not rat meat. Well, now that I feel reassured about going back to Buffalo Wild Wings for the fourth time this week, on my drive over there, I can listen to Threadbare, which is our theme song as well, off the album Burn of Proof. Glimmerill wrote that. You can check it out at Spotify, iTunes, any place you get music, and glimmerillmusic.com. Check us out on social media. We're on Instagram at, at Strictly Confidential Show and on Twitter at S Confident Show. And then our email is strictlyconfidentialshow at gmail.com if you want to shoot us anything. Literally anything we will take in our email. Hit the Snopes theme song also was written by Connor Voigt, so thanks to him for sending us that. Still enjoying it. And you can get in touch with us if you want to be on the show. We would love to interview you. You got a theory? Let's hear it. We can talk about it. Even if you're a bit microphone shy, we can take it from there. And share this podcast with your best friend. If you enjoy it, they probably enjoy it. Or leave a review on iTunes if you're feeling really generous. Yeah, uh, iTunes and word of mouth is really just the best ways we can get our show out there. And if you're liking what you're hearing, then odds are other people will too. So we super appreciate that. You've been listening to Strictly Confidential. I've been Asher. And I've been Jackson. And until next time, say your shits.